Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sean Smith. Happy to be joined by my good friend and co-host on the Sources Say podcast, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Jack, I'm flipping it on you. How the heck are you? And I'm going to respond the same way you do as always. I'm doing fantastic, Sean. How are you? Well, you know, isn't that how you usually start after I say I'm fantastic (laughs) as you go into what has been going on in the day? So Derek is actually going to be out for a few days. So you decided to, I reached out to you last night and I was like, hey, can you help me record a basketball mailbag? And I didn't think there was anyone better to get to hop on here and this is kind of going to be a crossover of sources say and Kentucky daily. And, uh, if you are listening to this, you've probably already listened to our latest episode of sources say. So the news today was Dante Allen hit the transfer portal. So Jack, I, I wanted to get that out there before we get into this mailbag, because I'm sure there's some questions that are going to talk about roster attrition and things like that. But, uh, if fans haven't listened to that episode yet, just give us a short, uh, maybe a short 15, 20 minutes or 20 seconds here on how you're feeling about Dante Allen hitting the portal. I mean, I can give you an emotional 15, 20 minutes if you really need me to about Dante. I mean, it's I've just- been, <laughs> I've been talking into this mic for the last hour and a half. So it all, whatever you want to give me. <laughs> it all started back in November 5th, whatever year he was born, Dante <laughs> Allen. <laughs> no, it's news that I think, uh, uh, we've all been anticipating for quite some time. I think it's a relationship that uh, has sputtered out over the last, uh, you know, several months to the, you know, I think after last season, there was kind of a, a I really, uh, he, he decided not to enter the transfer portal last offseason when he had, he had every opportunity to, he came back. I think with the expectation to play a lot more than he ended up doing. I think there was a lot of uh, stuff going on behind the scenes and, and, uh, I just I don't think the relationship with with Coach Cal and the, the coaching staff I just don't think it was a great one and and I, I think by the end of it I think it was just a relationship that wasn't going to get fixed and he decided that he wanted to do what was in his best interest and uh, find somewhere that he can play and I don't blame him I think it's something that has been a long time coming Sean and uh, uh, I, I'm very excited to see what his next destination is I, I'm intrigued is he going to go to a, an NKU of sorts where he can you know, start and, and maybe average 15, 20 points a game, get a lot of shots up, or is he going to go to a Louisville and kind of be a, a spark plug off the bench? I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities and uh, I, I wish him the best in his endeavors. Yeah, same here. Uh, you know, I said it on the last show and then on sources say that I, I'm a huge fan of Dante Allen, the person, and I think that he has potential as a basketball player when the fit is right. And it just wasn't a good fit at Kentucky. But let's jump into these mailbag questions. I will say this, Jack. I think we have 50-plus questions counting the DMs. We're not answering all 50-plus. We would be here until Dante makes his decision on where he's transferring. He's probably played three games by the time we get through that many questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through, and if I see a question's doubled up, like there's going to be a lot of Shaden Sharp. There's going to be a lot of Savir Wheeler and, and how next ro- next season's roster should you know be shaped and how they play. So if – if you ask a question and I get to someone else's first, hopefully it's been answered for you by the time I get around to yours. So I'm going to pass over some if they're repetitive. So let's start with this one. Since we're on the roster talk, Corey says, Sean, if you had to guess who else leaves or comes back for next season, Jack, I know this is something that you and I talked about on sources say Dante's now out the door. 
you got to start looking at this roster and thinking, you know, okay, there, there's a log jam at certain positions right now. You got Jacob Toppin, you got Keon Brooks, you got Bryce Hopkins all playing the four. We know Damian Collins. It's reported by Travis Brenham that he'll be back next year. John Calipari sees him playing some four. So there's a huge log jam there. You got Chris Livingston coming in at those spots. Like something's got to go there. I, I think that definitely someone, maybe one, possibly two, are out at that spot. Uh, you said yesterday you think Lance Ware will be back. We still got to wait and see what happens with Oscar. But it feels like one of Keon or Toppin or Bryce, possibly two, or that's going to be the position where there's some people leaving the program that aren't NBA decisions. Is more so just kind of attrition that maybe the portal, things like that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there will be uh, some attrition there. And I think it would it kind of be a shock to me if we don't see two of those guys uh, hit the portal and explore their options. I do believe that Bryce Hopkins will be a guy, if you if you listen to sources say, we've talked kind of the ins and outs of that, the relationship it, that, you know, he's kind of wanting more. He wants more immediate playing time, getting some some shots up. There's some talk about uh, DePaul. There was some talk about Providence there for a while. That was a school that uh, he turned down to go to Kentucky. Uh, you know, that was a school that he was going to play a lot more. Uh, from day one, he decided to go to the Blue Blood and kind of, you know, try to fight for a national championship, make a run on a, on a Blue Blood team. Uh, and he, you know, I think in his mind, I think if he had a do-over, he probably would have gone somewhere from day one that he can make an immediate impact, get a lot of shots, get a lot of touches. Um, and I do think that he'll be the next name to hit the portal. And, and just kind of a, a gut, just knowing – what happened last offseason, I did hear that Keon did explore his options, no matter what was publicly put out there. Uh, I do do think that uh, that Keon is you know explored last offseason. I do think that if a, a, the right opportunity presented itself, I think he would have been gone last offseason. I, I, I think he kind of went into this season thinking this was going to be my last year at Kentucky. Uh, you know, kind of let's see what we can do one last go at. It. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We'll, we'll uh, you know, kind of part ways and, and move forward as, as such. So uh, I do think that, you know, just kind of my, my hunch right now, there's not any, um, you know, immediate inside info or anything like that about Keon, but just kind of knowing what I knew before and kind of his approach to this season, uh, how things went. I just think that might be one that it, it may be best for both parties to move on and see if they can get a new change of pace there at that four position. I know Cal's high on Jacob Toppin. He just talked about Damian Collins potentially being the best player in college basketball next season. And if he thinks he's going to be the best player in college basketball, he needs the minutes to prove he's the best player in college basketball. And he's not going to get it there if Keon is, uh, is filling that four spot. So uh, that if you were going to, you know, kind of early guesses, I do think those are the two that, that, that uh, kind of part ways with the program. And I'm going to put these two questions together. This one says, I like Wheeler and his ability to distribute, but I think Cal needs to get a point guard who can shoot the ball. Thoughts? And then this one talks about uh, the roster overall. How does spacing improve next year? If Wheeler, Collins, and Oscar end up logging big minutes together, as was suggested with Collins possibly playing the four. So if Collins is at the four, let's just say, just for fun, let's say Oscar's on the roster, Wheeler's on the roster. Not a fan of that lineup. Jack, uh, with, with spacing purposes. So I, I would want to see Collins on the floor with a, a, a better shooting point guard. So when we're talking about this, and I brought this up, when you lose to St. Peter's and you have the, the meltdown at the end of the year, Derek said this too, you're kind of at liberty to do whatever the heck you want with your roster. When you have that type of ending to the season, everything is on the table, replacements are on the table, and it's up to you to kind of fix it however you want. I'm a huge fan of Kentucky having a guy at the one that can get his own, 
has some size and can knock down a perimeter jump shot. I'm a huge fan of that. If that is something that they can make work. Yeah. And I do kind of feel a little bit bad for Savir, how things ended this season, because the shot makers that he had that kind of made him such a dynamic playmaker, they weren't making shots. So uh, when you have, when you're a player like Savir who can't score by himself, I mean, obviously, you know, drives to the basket and he has his little Savir signature scoop that he has at the rim. But outside of that, he's not a consistent jump shooter as much as he may think he is. He is absolutely not that person. What makes him such a dynamic playmaker is when he kind of gets those paint touches and finds open looks on the outside. And you have a Kellen Grady, you have a Ty Ty Washington, you have a, uh, you know, Davion Mintz, those type of players on the outside to, to knock down shots and kind of rack up assists. That's what makes him special. But when you take away the outside shooting part of that, uh, Savir's kind of, his role just isn't there on the floor and, and he got, it kind of needs to be played off the floor if that's the case. So uh, I, I am a little bit worried about that. If, if, if Savir is going to be the guy uh, I do think that Cal needs to do whatever it takes. You already have CJ Frederick coming back. It's a big, big win for Kentucky. He needs to stay healthy. If Kentucky wants to make a run next season, I, I think that he would have been a huge help for this year, especially as the team kind of uh, hit its slump. I just don't think a guy like CJ Frederick, he, he's just kind of one of those even killed, super consistent type shooters I I think he would have been perfect to kind of fill that void for this team but you need him to stay healthy you need to go find whatever sharpshooter you can uh, uh, in the portal and uh, you know Cason Wallace is an okay shooter but not a great shooter Chris Livingston's very inconsistent as a shooter I mean I think that's going to be an issue for this team and uh, I think that definitely kind of plays a part in you know does Cal go all in on Xavier Wheeler does he think that uh, he needs to go to the portal and find a, a sharp shooting point guard uh, to kind of fill that void. I, I think that's definitely an interesting predicament that Coach Cal is in. Yeah, and and I'm with you on what happened with Wheeler at the end of the year. I told you that if, when you have Mintz and Grady falling off the way that they did, and it wasn't just a, a fall off, it was a, an entire drop off a mountain. Like when it come to effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage and, and everything from three, I mean, they dipped significantly and then they fell apart on the defensive end as well. When you're doing that, and then you're posting Oscar and you got Keon still trying to get to mid-range and him him standing on the block some. There was no room for Xavier Wheeler to operate, which then kind of made it probably feel like he was back at Georgia again. So you need the two and the three to be very good shooters and guys that are actually making shots. I'm a big fan of Wheeler if next year's roster includes a two and a three that can stroke it and a four-man that can face up and hit outside shots consistently too, maybe a Chris Livingston at that spot. Then I'm a fan of it. But you brought up I think it was you talking about hiring an offensive coordinator possibility. I think that was on Sources mm-hmm. Say last week when yeah. we said that. So we have multiple questions about that, but I'm going to read this one. Would hiring an offensive coordinator make that much difference in your opinion, and would Cal actually consider doing it? With how our season ended and the perception that our offense isn't modern, will it hurt us on the recruiting trail and bringing in top transfers? Jack, I think the offensive coordinator approach – is more so of a you have a guy that is just kind of focused on that entirely. You know, in this staff, you have your guys that are defensive specialists. You have your guys that are good with development and things like that. I mean, that's a normal thing when in any given staff. I think it would help if they had someone that could kind of key in and just watch that end of the floor. But how much would Cal listen to it? We know that Cal's ingrained in what he believes, but this result – it's either it, it has to bring about some type of change. But my biggest critique of this team was how poorly they were in grinded out situations. 
They were not good in the last five minutes of games. We saw that multiple times, but Cal kept going back to it with no success in those in those situations to prove it. That's where I think someone could help and say, look, let's figure out our best way to close games. It might not be to grind it out with five minutes on the clock. Maybe it's to grind it out with a minute and a half and then try to get to the bonus. Five minutes is too early, and it it costs this team quite a few times. Yeah, I don't, you know, in an ideal world, in a – you know, fantasy land world, of course, it, it sounds fantastic to bring in some young up and coming innovative offensive guru, a, a Liam Cohen of sorts for uh, on, on the basketball side of things that I uh, kind of comes in and kind of revamps the offense and kind of takes the archaic approach that Cal has had that has been absolutely slaughtered in the national media this this offseason. I mean, like you said, uh, I mean, every national analyst and reporter and uh, people that know the X's and O's have just absolutely trashed what uh, this this Cal Perry offense, especially late. Uh, I mean, yeah, in an ideal world, you bring in a guy like that that can kind of spark uh, kind of a, a revamp of the offense. What we saw between the Notre Dame game and I guess what the Auburn game of the, you know, before Ty Ty's injury, whatever that span is where Kentucky's offense looks so lethal. Uh, ideally, you get an offense that can maintain that success all season long, but it takes two to tango, Sean, and I just don't know if the uh, the other party involved that is actually in charge of all of this uh, would be willing to do something like that because of, you know, whether it's ego reasons, whether it's, you know, he's just kind of stuck in his ways for as long as, you know, kind of that curmudgeon old guy that just, you know, he, he does things the way he wants to do and you're never going to convince him otherwise, you know, you just never know. But I, I do will say that in his uh, during his call-in radio show that wasn't a call-in radio show on Monday night, he did talk about, you know, yeah, I need to evaluate everything. I need to figure out what I'm doing. Clearly something didn't work down the stretch. What can I do to revamp things? So maybe he looks at himself in the mirror this offseason and says, you know what, what has been working the last 15, 20, 30 years is not working anymore. And I need to get with the times. I need to keep moving forward. If this program is going to continue to be the gold standard of college basketball, I need to do my part to change that on my end as well and stick with the times. So if that's the case, then, then I do think it's a match made in heaven and, can, and Kentucky can find, uh, you know, an up and coming guru. You can have as many off court, random you know uh, advanced analytic guys I mean that's how Joel Justice started he was kind of a made-up role for stats and analytics Jay Lucas before in that two months before he got elevated to an uh, official assistant he was kind of a special assistant to the head coach recruiting analyst type dude whatever his uh, official status was you can make up whatever role you want and if if Cal I think it would be very much in his best interest to do something like that and not only that not to just bring somebody in but also take those words of wisdom and and, and use them to his benefit yeah I, I agree with everything there then that, that second half of the question talking about how the season ended and the offense not being modern Jack there's there's been a lot of criticism growing in recent years about Kentucky's archaic offense. I know we've seen uh, Jonathan Giovanni take take some stabs at that after Kentucky's loss last week, talking about how there were two bigs clogging the lane. How much do you think that that hurts in today's world of recruiting? You know, the NBA's approach to the game is completely different than what John Calipari is doing now. He's still putting guys in the league, but that is obviously something that other coaches will use and recruit against Kentucky. I mean, I, I don't know who did the article. Uh, I, it might have been just Jonathan Gavoni's 
his own article that Ben Roberts posted on on the Herald Leader is kind of a, you know, look what this national analyst has to say about Kentucky deal. I, I don't remember seeing quotes directed uh, to Ben Roberts specifically, but regardless, the comments came from Jonathan Giovanni or Gavoni, however you say it. And uh, he's been at the forefront of this John Calipari uh, slaughter tour. I mean, he just can't stress enough how awful this offense is. And he said uh, just uh, either yesterday, the day before, whatever it was, he came out and said that NBA teams do not know how to evaluate Kentucky's guards because they look so not bad, but just kind of inconsistent and have their struggles and the spacing's awful at Kentucky and, and all these things uh, that they don't know how to evaluate. And he, he used the term that NBA teams are using a curve for a, like a, a grading curve for Kentucky's guards and, and, and I guess all of Kentucky's players because there is such a serious jump from Kentucky to the NBA. Look at Tyrese Maxey, look at Emmanuel Quickly. And obviously those guys were very good to great. You know, Emmanuel Quickly was an, you know, SEC player of the year type player. Uh, I mean, they, they had success, but they're finding uh, just 10 times the success in the NBA. Tyler Hero, Devin Booker was a, you know, four-star recruit at a high school that was a, you know, sharpshooter off the bench, six-man type guy for that Kentucky team. And he just broke, uh, I think he's one of like four players all time to hit the uh, 11,000 point scoring mark uh, as young as he did or whatever that number is. I mean, he's a, he's an NBA superstar. He's an all-star. How, and, and, how, and, and it hurts. It, how it much of that? Hurts. How much of that do you think, though, we, we, we need to remember and factor in just natural progression and development? Like, as these guys get older, there's no classes. They go to the league. They have all this time to work on their game. There are professionals that just key in and work with them and work on this, whether it be analytics or individual workout sessions. Do you think that there is – I mean, obviously, we know that guys get better when they leave Kentucky. That's how it should be, right, when you move to the league. But there is a significant jump in shooting percentages – and things like that. But then you, you have the stories of Carl Anthony Towns that I still think if Cal hadn't put him on the block and posted him up, he would not have been the number one pick. So there's still those good stories in this. So how much of it do you think is just natural development progression? And how much do you think that Kentucky's offense is certainly a problem that, that people look at and you do have to evaluate their players differently because something happens at Kentucky and guys shoot much lower percentages from three than they do in the league. Well, well, I'll give you the perfect example of how it actually did impact Kentucky's recruiting efforts this season for a player that Kentucky desperately wanted uh, on the recruiting trail. Derek Lively was a player that if you watch him play, he's a guy that kind of floats on the perimeter and uh, jacks a lot of threes and kind of inconsistent really you know he'll knock down one or two a game but when you when you take six or seven you know he, he his shooting numbers aren't the best but it's very clear that that's the player he wants to be he kind of wants to be that Kristaps Porzingis type guy uh and you know I think he does have that potential it's a it's a, a not a beautiful shot but it's it's a it's an acceptable shot and I think that it's one that's growing he's definitely getting more confident doing it my conversations dur during the uh, the heat of Kentucky's recruitment uh, you know, while they were recruiting Derek Lively, uh, he, the, the guys I talked to at UK flat out said, if he comes here, we're going to Carl Anthony Townsend. We're going to put him on the block and teach him how to be a, a, a big man. We're going to teach him how to be a low post type guy. And at that time, I kind of heard that and went, Oh, what? That's not going to work. Why would you use that as your recruiting tool? I, I you know, it, I understand why, because, 
as you said, that's what made Carl Towns the number one pick. But for a 17, 18 year old kid, Sean, that is trying to decide if he wants to play for one blue blood school school or the other, it probably isn't in your best interest to say, Hey, you know, that style of play that you really like and what you have, you know, that free flowing type style that you really enjoy that uh, you think suits you the best. Yeah. We're going to take that away from you and we're going to put you on the block and you're going to be a back to the basket basket type guy. It's clearly a, a, a disadvantage on the recruiting trail as we saw, because where did he end up committing? to a school, Duke, that told him, whatever you want to do, we're going to let you do it. This is the same school that told Zion Williamson, we're going to let you play like LeBron James. And that's why Duke ended up winning that battle because schools right now, I know Cal doesn't make promises and he's kind of the player's first type guy. And he doesn't, you know, he's not going to polish a a turd. You know, he's, he's one of those guys. He just is what he is. And he's not going to, you know, lie for the sake of getting a recruit. That's just kind of how he's always been. But it, 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 we saw it this season. It, it's hurting these recruits. Adembona was another guy. Cal wants to put him on the block and teach him how to be a true back to the basket. Uh, Adem wants to be a, a guy that's on the perimeter, takes jump shots, and kind of learns how to be that inside out Bam Adebayo type player. And well, it, it just it, it, it that stuff hurts. It does. Well, and and here's the thing about Oscar Shibwe. When, when we're talking draft boards and stuff, we've we've watched him climb draft boards to the point now that he's showing up on them, but not where you would think the national player of the year who's doing stuff that hasn't been done in 30 to 40 years would be. But 20 years ago, Jack, Oscar Sheepway's probably a top five pick. He's at least a lottery pick. But in today's world of basketball, he's not. And that's just the signs of the times and the way the game's being played, which is John Calipari is still stuck in those areas where the game has essentially moved on and you're seeing other coaches adapt and make changes. I'm not saying that John Calipari's way is entirely broken, but the – the commitment to it feels like it is. Yeah. And I think that might be one of those look in the mirror moments for Cal this off season where he needs to realize that, yeah, you, okay. There's a difference between making false promises and saying you're going to play like LeBron, even though really Zion Williamson did kind of end up playing that kind of LeBron role. I, I will say that that's kind of what Zion ended up being. It's what he is in the NBA when he's physically able to be on the floor. Um, but I think there there's a fine line, Sean, between being stubborn in how uh, strict you are with your recruiting pitch, and this is what we are, this is what we're always going to be. If you don't like it, so be it. You're not for Kentucky. Kentucky's not for everybody. There's there's a difference between that. And also, you know, kind of massaging things a little bit and saying, yeah, man, you know, Derek, I love, you know, Derek Lively, I love that you're able to shoot threes. And I know you're going to be taking some threes at Kentucky, but I want to add this part of your game so you can be like a Carl Towns when you get to the, like, there's a, there's a fine line there of saying, we are not going to do what you want to do at at, at Kentucky. And hey, we're going to do this on top of the things that you like to give you the most well-rounded game possible. There's a, there's a clear difference there that I think is, is, it's hurting Kentucky on the recruiting trail. And I think that other teams are starting to take advantage of that. Yeah, I think so as well. And Adam has a question here about the uh, offensive philosophy and the change. Does the offense really need to have a change in philosophy? Top five most of the year became stagnant and awful end of the year, but largely due to injuries. Is it more of a being healthy personal problem? And that does complicate it, Jack. Like this team for five to six weeks, I thought they looked like one of the best four teams in the country. I thought they looked like the best backcourt in the country. The injuries did disrupt that. 
But I think the change in philosophy on my end is more so late in games and the way he tries to close them out. He tries to ground them out. We've seen it multiple times. We watched it uh, in the final four against Wisconsin in 2015 and then shot clock violation after shot clock violation, turnovers, missed shots. Slowing the pace isn't always the answer. That's what Cal wants to do. I remember in 2012, he did that a couple of times against, he did it against Louisville in the final four, Kansas in the national championship game, but he had the talent to overcome some of those things late. When you have the talent and the high end NBA potential, you can get away with it when there's Anthony Davis on your roster or if there's a Michael Kidd Gilchrist or, or someone like that. But when it comes down to this roster, this team just never could do it. And that's where my philosophy change needs to start is I want to see him play fast and play fast the entire game, kind of give guys the freedom of movement, space the floor a little more at that four spot, key in and recruit guys that can consistently hit 35 36% from three as a four man. I, I think that would be in itself a major adjustment. I've said if Kyle Wiltger had been on this Kentucky team, I know I'm taking it back 12 years, it was a bad fit then, but I think he would have been an excellent fit for this team offensively, a player like that. Or Derek Willis. Yeah, that, yeah that or Derek Willis. Four, yeah, that stretch four type role. But, yeah, I I think there's a fine line, a happy medium between the things that I think the fans are saying, the, what the national media is saying, and what Cal wants. I, I do think the numbers show – I mean, Kentucky was the number one offense in America for – 60% of the season. I mean, there were times that this offense was unbelievable. Watch that film against Tennessee at home. That was some of the best offense, Sean, we have seen in decades at Kentucky. I mean, it was, I, for my money, the best we've seen a John Calipari offense look in, I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I thought it looked that good. So John Calipari's side said, look, it's not that this team wasn't capable of doing that. And it's not like I, my offense can't do this and, and have this type of success because he, he's used that kind of uh, to his advantage over and over again all offseason you know kind of uh, radio show and post-game press conference and all that uh, he said look I mean we were a top five offense the majority of the year I mean you're not going to tell me that this offense was just putrid but there is clearly something to be said about the tightening of things and, and when you know the injury stuff happened it, it felt like after that Notre Dame game earlier in the year we saw a free-flowing thing spaced out, Oscar in the middle to have, you know, as much space as he wants. And then as things, as the season went on after, you know, they found their groove against the you know, North Carolinas of the world, the Kansases of the world, the Tennessees of the world, uh, when things got tight, when the injuries happened, Cal kind of reverted back to his old ways and he started tightening and tightening and tightening and tightening by the games. And then what we saw against St. Peter's was the exact team that we saw against Notre Dame, both losses, both inexcusable, both uh, really, you know, just ugly, ugly, ugly offensive performances. So I think there is something to be said about you need to capitalize and maximize spacing. You need, you need shooters. You can't, you can't have, two or three non-shooters on the floor at, at any given time. You need three or four shooters on the time with an Oscar at the five, or if you want to run a five out or whatever, to get maximize that versatility, maximize shooting, maximize scoring. Uh, so you don't have situations like we saw against St. Peter's, where if your your two best shooters go, go cold, then the rest of your team is screwed. I think that's the fine line and the happy medium that I, I think this Kentucky program, not Cal, not the fan base, not the national media begging for something different. I think there's a happy medium for all sides that uh, clearly change is necessary, but maybe not as much as, as you know bringing in somebody else or doing something uh, completely different than what we saw at Kentucky's peak this season. 
And Tanner says, honestly, just talk at length about the Butcher's Pub or something. UK Hoops is a dumpster <laughs> fire right now. So, Jack, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Butcher's Pub. And I know you've never been there, but there's three locations. There's one just north of my hometown in Palmville, Kentucky. There's one in Williamsburg, Kentucky and London, Kentucky. They have delicious options there, Jack. The I know you and I had a really good buffalo chicken sandwich when we were in Indianapolis. But I'll tell you, the Butcher's Pub has the best buffalo mm. chicken sandwich one of the best places to catch a game uh, have a meal three convenient locations there in eastern kentucky they're growing they're expanding there's going to be more coming at some point you can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on facebook another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jack, let's pick about five, six more questions, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I know this was a huge mailbag, but I feel like we're covering a lot of the main points that that fans want answered. So let's get to some Shade and Sharp talk, obviously, because uh, there's a couple of questions here. Jimmy actually pre- presents a, a situation, a scenario for us. Based on probability, which option would be more likely to occur? Cal changes his offensive velocity, philosophy, high pick and roll, two post man, et cetera or sharp returns for one season to play at UK. So our man Jimmy has kind of put it all out there for us. <laughs> Which one is more probable, Jack? Uh, I will say that changing the offense is more likely and in, in kind of, you know, in something innovative, again, something, a happy medium of what, what both sides are saying where there is change needed, but maybe not to the drastic extent that some people are, are wishing for, but, I, I don't know. I, I'm just feeling less and less confident in Shaden Sharp returning by the day. It's kind of feels as every time John Calipari opens his mouth at this point, it, it feels uh, like he's growing less and less confident. He, he, this is a, a guy that from the minute Shaden set foot on campus, he was adamant that we were going to get him year two said, uh, all we care about is getting him in the strength and conditioning program, get him used to the system, get him used to the college campus life, uh, get him used to being a, a star at Kentucky. So when his time does come, he will be able to step into that with with ease. And uh, I think that as the season went on, he officially announced early February that that the uh, Cal announced that that Shaden was not going to play all season and uh, that that kind of turned off the fan base. They was taught. There was talk after the St. Peter's loss. Somebody asked him, you know, did you ever reconsider that? And Cal said, yeah, I'll be honest. We had sit downs with uh, Shaden and his parents. And we then decided again, that it was in uh, everybody's best interest to wait with weight being the very uh, interesting wording there. And then just a couple of days later during his radio show on Monday evening, he kind of says, well, I think he's going to explore his, his uh, draft options and he's going to at least, 
least test the waters. I really hope I get to see him play because he's a special, special talent, clear change in tone, clear change in attitude from uh, day one to now, Sean. And uh, I, I have my concerns because I just don't think that there's a player in the portal that you're going to find. We talked about this extensively on, on our show uh, source say, I just don't think there's a guy in the portal that can replace a 20 point per game, three level score. That's a, a you know, top five draft pick uh, out there. I mean, you can find another Kellen Grady, you can find another Davion Mintz. Those guys are out there and they're available and they want to come to places like Kentucky, but Sean, you're not going to find a top five pick in the portal that's uh, willing to risk the NI, you know, even for NIL to risk that, you know, uh, draft status to come back to school and play for a place like Kentucky. So uh, I, I am concerned, I will admit. So uh, I will definitely lean the offensive direction. Yeah, I'm leaning that way as well. So the next question is, so should Sharp go pro? Who do you think we go after to try and fill that void? And Jack, that's the the complicated question because to me – there would be a couple of voids if Sharp leaves. Let's just throw in Oscar Sheboy. If Oscar Sheboy leaves as well and they can't get things worked out on, on his end and, and he's off after one season, Sharp's out the door. It leaves not only a void in talent, but it leaves a void where the season ending loss to St. Peter's, the way it unraveled, to me it's going to be hard to find a lot of positivity within the fan base to, to rally around it going into the next year. If you get one of those two – I still think there's a lot of morale. I think the fan base would absolutely be all in if Oscar Sheboy says, I'm coming back for another season. I almost think that that would kind of repair some of the feeling and some of the hurt that has happened in the last five to six days. If you lose both of them, I don't know if anyone else's decision really does that and gets that same effect, which leads me to this. You've already said it. There's no shade and sharp in the portal. So I don't really know where they would go. It would They would have to get a really good score from a proven place, someone who has done it somewhere else, done it at all three levels if they can find that. But you're not getting the upside and the NBA potential that you're getting with Shaden Sharp. Like, it's so hard to identify who that guy would be right now. The the solution, if there is one, if, you know, assuming that Shaden leaves, you're not going to get that guy. But – if you're looking for a silver lining, if you're looking for, you know, any type of optimism, uh, you know, things to look forward to and things that are absolutely necessary for this program, A, you have to have Damian Collins make a huge step up in year two. You also need Jacob Toppin to take a major, major, major step up. I and mean, we saw uh, clear spurts out of, out of both of them, but especially Jacob Toppin. I mean, it, when when he was playing at his best, especially offensively, we know what he is defensively and we know what he is as an athlete. But, uh, you know, goodness gracious, he was having some dr- some straight line drives to the basket, baseline up and under dunks that were like, holy crap, that is an NBA player if I've ever seen one. He has a lot of pro potential. Uh, and if he can somehow emerge, if, if you could get one of those two to emerge as a not a very good player, but a star for Kentucky next season, I think it alleviates some of that pressure. Uh, but, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I'm, if I'm being brutally honest, if Shaden leaves, I think you're going to f- have to find somebody else in the portal at point guard. I, I do. I think that maybe you keep Savir as a, you know, secondary piece, a guy that you bring off the bench that that is, you know, if, if you need a, a, somebody to make a play for you, if you need a, you know, somebody to run the floor and kind of control the pace, maybe, but you got to get your scoring from somewhere. You got to get, I mean, that's 20 points per game that you're going to, you know, 15 to 20 points per game, but I, I'm leaning toward the latter. I think you're going to be able to get 20 points per game out of Shaden should he decide to return. You got to replace those, those numbers somehow. 
CJ Frederick's not going to give you that. He's going to give you, you know, nine, 10 points off the bench with some, some hot shooting or whatever, you know, maybe Jacob Toppin jumps to be a 10 plus point per game score. Or maybe Damian Collins is that guy. It's going to have to be an attack by committee type deal where you, you kind of get some success off the board uh, across the board. But again, what was the issue with this team? You kind of relied on an all uh, you know, all in effort across the, the the roster from the top of the rotation to the bottom. And then look where that got them. They didn't have that go-to star in March. And I think that was what, you know, one of the things that plagued this team down the stretch. And uh, if you lose Shaden, I think you got to find a star point guard. You got to find somebody that's going to be able to score for themselves. That, it, that isn't a liability shooting the ball. It's not turnover prone. And you got to rely on, uh, you know, hope for a jump out of Damian Collins and Jacob Toppin. I think those two things have to happen if Shaden Sharp does indeed leave. And let's get to these two together because I think they're really good questions. Ben says, Cal blamed last year entirely on COVID and didn't really change his coaching. This year, it seems he is blaming it entirely on injuries. Is there a realistic scenario where he still doesn't change his philosophy next year and it gets gets exposed even more and then he is gone? Austin has a question here too. In your opinion, with our current roster and potential targets, what moves does Cal need to make to be successful next year with a more modern offense? I keep hearing that that he needs to change, but no one says how. So yeah, that's the that's the key part, right? We all talk about it. He needs to change. Everyone's talking about it. How though, Jack? Like, what is it? it and like you said, with Cal, it's not going to be a total overhaul. It's going to be finding that happy medium to where there are some things that John Calipari still feels comfortable doing, but he's also open to feeling comfortable doing some things differently. And that's where I come from. Stop trying to grind it out with teams that aren't that's not built to grind it out. And there was enough of a blueprint there this year that this wasn't the team to grind it out with, and he still kept trying to do it. And I think that it got on beaten scenarios. I mean, you look, you looked at the uh, the article that Hoops Insight put up yesterday, and and Sean wrote that one. I'm actually having him on the show tomorrow to talk about it. This wasn't a team that was very good in the final five minutes of games, but they kept trying to be, and they kept trying to play the same way. You had mid range jumper after mid range jumper from Xavier Wheeler, Keon Brooks. I feel like taking away the mid-range shot and shooting a few more threes. It doesn't have to be Alabama basketball. You're not shooting 40, but take away that mid-range jumper, get to the rim, or take a few more threes and stop trying to force that 14-footer from guys that really, like Sauvier Wheeler, that that's not his shot. Not in his mind. No. Uh, but, yeah, but it, it, that was Ty Ty's shot. That was Keon Brooks' shot. Jacob Toppin really thrived in that intermediate well, and, range as well. But and it, it was Keon's be. shot. So just, just to bring this up, it, it was Keon's shot. But is it the best shot as many times as Keon was taking it, or could they have gotten better offense? Like that was a – it felt like it was almost a forced attempt for Keon a lot of times that they were trying to – that was trying to be the play that they wanted – when they were playing their best basketball, it was what was open. Like it was kind of feeding off of the other things they were doing. But then late in the year and at certain times, it kind of felt like that. No, this is what we got to get. We got to get a key on 14 or 15 footer. That being primary option at times was the thing that was so, I think, just disgusting to watch because that's that's no one's primary option anymore in basketball. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the two most reliable shots of the year all from, from start to finish were Oscar Sheway scoring down low in any form or fashion. That, that guy was a, a, a 
a bucket magnet and a rebound magnet. That dude did did no wrong all season long. Oscar Sheboy will always will, will I mean that was a legendary season from start to finish, and he will hold those records forever. Nobody's touching what Oscar was able to do. But that was the con- most consistent shot. And then Kellen Grady from three. Those were the two most reliable shots. And then you have you know the key on the mid range shot. Then you have the tie tie pull up when he was at his playing at his best. I mean th- you you start filling in, but those two shots, Oscar Sheboy scoring down low and Kellen. Grady uh, shooting three-pointers easily the two most consistent you got to find some continuity where uh, you have another counter with uh, you know a CJ Frederick on top of a Kellen Grady to be able to knock down you know those two being the most reliable shots and if you know should Oscar Sheboy come back or whoever you know got to find the the Kellen replacement that sharpshooter maybe it's CJ but you got to find you got to have more shooters off uh, on this roster you can't have non-shooters mid-range shooters uh, you don't have to take away the mid-range out entirely. You clearly saw how effective it was that Kansas game, how when Keon was hitting on firing on all cylinders on that front, you saw how effective that was. You saw when Ty Ty's pull-up was falling, how effective that was. But you can't have that be the focal point of this offense. You need to have easy cleanup buckets where you can say, we need a quick two, go down, go down low to Oscar, or we need it. We need a big shot. We need a big shot from somebody. And you have multiple options capable of hitting that. When you have Savir on the floor, when you have, uh, you know, Ty Ty when he's cold, when you have Kellen, when he's cold, when you have Keon, when he's cold, uh, you have no shooters on the floor. And, and, and that's what happened in the NCAA tournament. That's what happened in, in Tampa. You got to have shot makers on the floor. And I know it's a, a saying that we're so sick and tired of hearing over and over again that Cal has said uh, is you got to have maker you shot shot you can't have shot takers you have to have shot makers blah 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 but uh, there's a lot of truth to that and and you know that's that's a roster that Cal has to construct he has his work cut out for him absolutely yeah a couple more here Tracy says in correlation to Kentucky's success I believe social media is taking its toll on our guys 2015 the world became even more ugly via social media no final four since Yes, Cal says Kentucky isn't for everyone, but does BBN need to take some accountability? Jack, I think the thing that makes Kentucky fans the best is their passion, and it's their passion for basketball. It's their passion for football in the last decade or so that is now being on a national scene. People are getting to see Kentucky fans love football just as much as they do basketball. So I don't want to say that the fans really need to take a step back because, honestly, this year – I thought that they were there. I, th- I saw a lot of fans really come out and say, I've loved this team more than I've loved any team in the last seven years. I think this was the team that kind of brought the fan base back. And all the criticism, it's not been on the players. It's been on John Calipari in the last week. So I've actually thought that the fans have have kind of channeled their anger and put it in a direction that was not on the players. And I think that was encouraging to see, that it's not been on any of these guys. It's always been put – on Cal. Now, some of that I, I get is built up frustration from not going to a Final Four, no national championship now in a decade. Maybe some people go overboard with it, but for the most part, I think everybody's just kind of been saying that they're just calling for change and it's not necessarily a firing. It's Cal needs to change. So I don't really have a problem with the way the fans have been the last five or six days. No, I, I definitely think that when Cal goes on social media and his radio show and goes, direct all of your anger toward me, please don't go for the kids. I think the complete reaction and, and response from the fan base has been, uh, duh, we have been doing that. Nobody's saying a word to these kids. And I think that's been true. I, I don't, I haven't seen any, you know, I think there's been a little talk about Savir and kind of, you know, I don't think he's the guy Kentucky needs to move on, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But 
you know, but look, when Kentucky follows its worst season in in school history with its worst NCAA tournament loss in, in, in school history, those difficult conversations, I think, are fair. And I, I, I don't think it's personal. I don't think it's directed toward a player individually. But I do think to say that a roster doesn't work or isn't built for March, you know, saying things like that, I, I don't think it's necessarily attacking the player. I think Xavier Wheeler's a phenomenal player. And I think that Kellen Grady's a phenomenal player. And, you know, he just kind of got the yips late in the year and just kind of is what it is. Uh, he lost confidence in his shot, and that that sucks. And I, I know there was some talk Cal said on his radio show about, you know, I need to I need to find guys that are you know have that will to win, that have that fight, and things like that. And it kind of felt like an indirect shot, not necessarily a shot, but kind of a, you know, maybe what worked, you know, what worked during the regular season clearly wasn't working to close out the year. You know, I think Cal might have been hinting at something like that, but. Um, yeah, I think the fan base has been, has been phenomenal. I, I don't, I haven't seen much of any, if if any at all, uh, on social media directed toward the players. I think it's just kind of an all in. Cal, you uh, went on a media tour and kind of said, "I hope everybody's ready. I hope everybody had their fun." Uh, but we're coming back with with force and revenge next season, and and you know, get your laughs out of the way now because you're not going to have anything to laugh about next season. When you say things like that, you open yourself up for criticism the way that I think the fan base has rightfully directed it toward him as he as he asked for. So yeah, I, I think. The, the social media feedback has been fine uh, this season. I, I don't, I haven't seen much of an issue with it at all. And Zach has quite a few here. So I'm going to answer, let's get the half of them. If Sharp goes to the NBA, why do we not discuss the potential of a Wagner reclass? Seems like the most logical replacement. If it's a transfer, do you see Scotty Pippen Jr. as a good field, Jack? And I see a lot of fans that bring up Scotty Pippen Jr. and things like that. Obviously there's nothing with the portal there. Uh, but it seems like that's been a name that every time that Kentucky plays Vandy or every time we're in an offseason, it just keeps being brought up because of the comment he said where Kentucky was his dream school. Uh, so you want to talk about those two things, and Scotty Pippen Jr., and if, if there is any kind of stuff on the back burner there, or what about Wagner as a reclass? I, I don't think so on those two. I, I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. DJ Wagner is a kid that uh, he's already young for his age. He's 6'2", 160 pounds. He's rail thin. He's a guy that he's very good at what he is at his age, but there's still some talk that even still he's not totally developed. I, I, I've i liked a lot of what I've seen from him, but I, I've seen him in a lot of different settings and a lot of different lives, you know, not just highlights on YouTube. I've seen a lot of DJ Wagner basketball live in person and uh, he's great when he's great, but he's kind of inefficient and he's kind of a chucker and he kind of gets in those mindsets that uh, I'm going to shoot myself out of this, the shooting slump kind of mindset and, and those type of things. Uh, they don't really work. And I think that he needs more time in high school. He's young. He needs more development you know, physically and mentally, I think, in, in terms of kind of understanding the game and, and developing on that front. I think it would be a major, major mistake for him to reclassify. And I think that his camp knows that. I think they're very patient with this. I would be absolutely stunned if DJ Wagner reclassifies. I just, I just don't think that he's ready yet. I think he will be by the time he sets foot on a college campus. Hopefully it's at Kentucky because he's a phenomenal player, but at his current state there, a lot of it is, is potential. Can he uh, become that dynamic three level scorer? that, you know, that shiftiness he's, he's just slithery, a very 
smooth and dynamic score, great touch around the basket, but uh, he just can't, can't finish through contact. He get he gets bullied down low. And if he's doing that against high school talent right now, Sean, that's just a dude that's going to get demolished against SEC length and size. And, and I just don't think that's a, uh, a rest. I think it's a recipe for disaster for fans that need, think that uh, he's going to be a, 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 an immediate day one impact type guy, especially if UK is, is needing a, a point guard. I just don't think he's the answer. And Scotty Pippen, I, I, you know, I think those connections have been there for a while. And uh, I do know he said those Kentucky's my dream school comments. And I think that's kind of where all this stuff is stemmed from. I personally haven't heard anything about it. I think if he was going to make that move, I think it was going to be last off season. Cause he was a, you know, 18, 17 point per game scorer uh, last year. And he had the several years of eligibility left. You'd think that if he was going to do that, why return to a, uh, an okay to bad Vanderbilt team to do basically what he's been doing his entire career, uh, you know, put up big numbers on a bad basketball team. So I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, maybe he decides to hit the portal, but uh, I have not heard any connection with uh, no. Kentucky specifically. And that's what has to happen when when these names officially hit the portal, then you can start to kind of look and say, all right, that that would be a good fit. Like that's someone that's intriguing, but you've got to wait on the portal. And when the portal happens, that's when we hop on and start talking about scenarios and when we start hearing stuff. But uh, let's end with these two and then we'll do a fun one. Uh, never sent in a question, but on multiple occasions, Cal has said this team was the best at locking into a game plan and staying focused on it. What do you think happened to that late in the year? Injuries, et cetera, because I just kept thinking about that as St. Peter's kept hitting back doors on us and we looked lost defensively. I'm pairing that one with this one. Does the St. Peter's loss look any different to you if they make the Elite Eight by beating Purdue? It, it, Jack, if they if they make the Elite Eight – Freezing cold takes is going to come after us for sure. No, no, not not you, me, because well, I ran my mouth so bad about St. Peter's, and oh goodness gracious, I'm not looking forward to that. I, uh, I'm not a Boilermaker fan. I'm not a Purdue fan, but I would not be opposed to a 40 point blowout uh, for Purdue against St. Peter's. I'll just put that out there. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either, but. And it, it still doesn't change my opinion of it because I still think that Kentucky should have won that basketball game, obviously. And uh, if they could have got by that one, maybe they get some stuff fixed. But there were so many red flags and warning signs there at the end of the year that maybe it was just maybe it would have just delayed the inevitable. Maybe it would have been Murray State that got them in the next round. I, I don't know. This Purdue matchup, if it had been Kentucky and Purdue tomorrow night, probably wouldn't have had a lot of confidence in it, though the way Kentucky had been playing. Uh, Jack, I think that that's just about it. I know I've had some people asking me about Kellen Grady having a COVID year. This actually was Kellen Grady's COVID year, right? If I'm not mistaken, because he had already he played yeah. all four years at Davidson, didn't redshirt, and then transferred after using all of his eligibility at Davidson. So that takes care of that one. And then let's end with this question here. Well, you can I'll let you talk about the Pat Baldwin rumors if you if you want to talk about that because I know we have multiple questions on that. So if you want to take that, and then we'll answer this fun one and then wrap it up. Yeah, uh, and one one more quick thing. I will say, you know, I don't think Kentucky was beating anybody that night. Um, I don't – St. Peter's, St. Bonaventure, St. Lucia. I don't care who it was. I, I don't think Kentucky was going to win any game. Uh, I heard a lot of stuff that, you know, as – uh, confident and swaggy as they looked in that open practice and they were joking and laughing and maybe they just didn't take St. Peter's, uh, you know, seriously, whatever. I, I don't know. But uh, I just, I remember both of us sitting there courtside before the game started. Uh, and you looked at me and said, how do you think they look? Cause I saw the both open practices the day before. And I thought St. Peter's looked 
awful. And I thought Kentucky looked pretty good, you know, missing shots, but more than what we saw against Tennessee. And, and, you know, I, I, but I, I, you asked me, you know, how do you think they look, you know, today compared to yesterday? And I was like, dude, there's something, something's off. Something's different. And I will say that I've heard uh, some behind the scenes stuff that, that, uh, uh, Savir was a nervous, nervous wreck leading up to the game. A lot of the players in the locker room, it kind of hit them. The nerves really hit them early. And and uh, I, I will say, I, I just don't think that there was a chance that Kentucky was going to beat anybody that night. And it's sad because, you know, you you had such big dreams and thought this was a title contending team and, and so optimistic. But I just it, it just really sucks that nerves ended up uh, ended up being, you know, getting the best of them and, and knocking them out of the tournament, bad shooting. And, you know, the yips with Kellen Grady, just, it's just a really crappy way to end what was a, a really special season. And one that I'll remember fondly for a long time, but just kind of one of those what if scenarios, but uh, we were talking about just kind of the, the, you know, will we look at that loss differently? I, I just, I don't, I don't think it was St. Peter's that did anything that really threw them off their game. I just think Kentucky was just not ready for that moment. and just kind of is what it is at this point about Pat Baldwin. Um, I don't see it happening. I think that he that's much more likely that he explores the uh, draft process and really looks at that hard. And if not, you know, maybe uh, I do think that it's going to be a uh, whoever hires his dad is going to get him type deal uh, because his dad was let go at, at uh, uh, Milwaukee. And I think he's going to be looking for a coaching job. And if that's the case, you know, maybe Cal makes room for him in some special assistant to the head coach role and, and takes him for one year before he finds his next coaching game. Offensive uh, coordinator. Yeah, I, shoot, <laughs> I'm for him. I mean, he's a head coach. I mean, he's a head coach at the Division One level. I mean, that's not a bad dude to bring in as an offensive coordinator if you really think about it. And if it means that you get a former top three uh, high school recruit who had a difficult season, kind of injury-prone type year – I mean, it could be a fresh start for both for both guys. I think whoever lands his dad is going to get him, and I haven't heard any connection bringing uh, Patrick Baldwin Sr. to Kentucky. Uh, I definitely think it's more likely that we see uh, uh, Patrick Baldwin enter the draft. But if I hear anything about Kentucky reaching out or being interested or him potentially hitting the portal, that's clearly one that will be intriguing, and I will absolutely take that situation with open arms. If there's one guy that could – be that Shaden Sharp replacement that had a rough first go at it. And, you know, he was at one, one of the most dynamic scorers in high school his senior year. If you're looking for that guy, that just may be the one player that could be that dude. So maybe we'll, we'll see if it, I may have to backtrack on those words about not having a Shaden replacement. If, if uh, Patrick Baldwin does become available. And uh, we'll, we'll be right here. And on this platform, I'll be on Kentucky Daily. Jack will be on Sources Say. I'll be on Sources Say with Jack, and we'll take you through the spring and into the summer with everything Kentucky basketball, what this roster is going to look like next season. Let's end with this one. Shane enters the mailbag, and Jack, I'm going to introduce you to Shane here. He always asks questions that are kind of just free, and you can just relax, and it's a lot of fun. He's asked me about silverback gorillas. He's asked me about all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> – we're going to get into this one. What are your two favorite March Madness moments, one that is and is not Kentucky basketball related? So instead of a run, Jack, let's just talk about an individual moment that is your favorite Kentucky basketball and then your favorite non-Kentucky basketball, and then I'll answer mine. 
Um, I mean, clearly, I think that run in 2014 is one that I'll remember for the rest of my life. That is a, I remember where I was with every shot. I remember the the feeling I had. I remember jumping up and punching my grandmother's ceiling when Aaron Harrison hit that shot against, uh, against Wisconsin. That's, uh, I, that's a, you remember where you are for the rest of your life type deal. And, and I don't think anything could top that run that, that four game stretch beating Louisville, you know, beating, uh, you know, beating Michigan, beating Wisconsin. I mean, that's that's just a run that I'll remember for the rest of my life. So uh, that's definitely the Kentucky one. My favorite non-Kentucky one, I, I got to think that Villanova hitting that buzzer beater against North Carolina, uh, that that kind of shovel pass in transition. I think that was one of those moments I'll remember for where I was for the rest of my life, too, because it was like, I don't think we've ever seen a game-winning shot in the national title game of that magnitude, stuff like that. I mean, I I, I think that was an amazing, amazing run that Villanova put forth. And uh, uh, to beat North Carolina on that stage, it's definitely something I'll never complain about. Yeah, that, that one is mine as well. It was Lehigh defeats Duke, but then I, I can't really make a lot of fun of that anymore considering what happened to Kentucky this year. But – that one with Villanova in North Carolina, when you had the uh, the Marcus Page shot, the possession before, then it ends with the the Jenkins shot to win the national championship. That has to be at the top. And then Kentucky, for a run, it was 1998 for me. That was the first run that I really followed and uh, kind of felt all the anxiety and the anxiousness and everything that was Kentucky basketball. I watched it all over my dad's face, and that I tell him all the time he – He's the reason why I even cover this program and do this job. My interest in this program is what led to me doing this job. But he would always tell me, why are you get? Why do you get so upset? Because I, I see you getting so upset. I remember <laughs> the first time Kentucky basketball made me cry, Jack, was when John Calipari and UMass beat Kentucky in the second game of the season in 1995-1996. I cried, and my dad's like, why are you crying? <laughs> because you're upset. And if, it's, if you're upset, I'm like six years, five or six years old. If it's bothering you, it's killing me. So me and him shared this whole thing. But that 1998 run with Tubby Smith and the way that they beat Duke in that Elite Eight game, which is my individual moment, Mike Krzyzewski runs out of timeouts. Tubby Smith outcoached him down the stretch of that game, did not call a timeout because he knew that Kay couldn't stop the momentum. And the way – I don't know if you've ever gone back and watched all that game, but Kentucky had to have a lot of things go its way. It literally erased like a 17, 18-point deficit in five or six possessions because they would hit a three or get a three-point play. It was the quickest comeback I've ever seen, and, and that right there is my favorite March moment. A lot of them. I mean, it's uh, it, it, we're blessed to be covering a, a program of this magnitude where we can say that uh, we this was my favorite run to the title. This was my favorite title. This was my favorite Final Four. It's uh, one, one heck of a program to, to be a part of and, and to follow so closely and to make this my job. It's, it's one of those days that uh, situations you always just kind of have to take a step back and, and think, man, I can't believe that we're in this position. And uh, one day I'll be able to cover cover it for work in person. I, I'm hoping that I thought that that might be this year, but um, maybe, maybe someday. I, I think I think uh, we'll, I'll definitely hit one, but but hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, we will definitely have some pregame shows and postgame shows live from a Final Four location at some point. I truly believe that. And if you ever need some uh, assurance to how great your program is, just remember Tennessee fans when they're talking about March memories that'll all have to be. Remember that one time we won a Sweet Sixteen game? That one time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Kentucky fans uh, don't even remember how many Sweet 16 appearances they've had. But, Jack, I really appreciate you 
hopping over on this platform and talking. We literally wrapped up a Sources Say podcast episode. If you only listen to Kentucky Daily and you do not listen to Sources Say, you're doing something wrong. I strongly encourage you to check out that podcast where Jack and I are on there multiple times a week talking about everything from uh, funny stories and hotels to what's going on with Kentucky men's basketball program and recruiting. But Jack, tell the fans where they can find your work. Find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. I'm, uh, you know, on all the platforms. And if you want to, you know, send me a message, send me an email, by all means do that. You can find me on, uh, you can reach me via email, jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com as well. He's Jack Pilgrim. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.